Well, this is not my normal voice. I woke up this morning and uh, could not talk at all. And I still cannot sing as normal uh, test. I, I can't go up and down on the notes, but I'm going to try to speak today. You know, God has always worked best when we are at our weakest. So maybe God can use this today. Um, we're going through the Lord's Prayer. And we recite that every Sunday unless I forget. And uh, with that, uh, what I want to do now is just to look more deeply at the words that we say so that we might understand better. Last week we looked at the first part, Our Father who art in heaven. And then uh, today we're going to be looking at the, the second couplet here. It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is actually a form of parallelism. And that is, when uh, in the Old Testament particularly, with the Hebrew and then later with the Aramaic, it was a common practice to not rhyme in poetry, but rather to say something and then say it again in almost exactly the same words. In uh, Psalm 46, verse 7, it says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So you see says something, and then just in different words, says something else. That's true in the verse that we're going to be looking at today. Thy kingdom come is one phrase, and then we stop. And we get what I believe is a definition of the kingdom of God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is a place where God's will is perfectly done on earth as it is in heaven. And all of us are given the task of building the kingdom of God together. But there is some confusion here. And I want to take the entire word of God and look at it to try to help us to understand just a little bit better what God is speaking to us about. First of all, there is the kingdom. As uh, Israel came into the land, the promised land that God gave them, for many hundreds of years... There was no king but God. And God sent 12 uh, judges, and they were not actually judges in today's sense, but they were people that would to, to look over and to deliver God's people when they were in trouble. The last of all of those judges was Samuel, one of the greatest of all. Great man of God. But as he became older, uh, some people came to him and they said, we want a king like the other kings around us. And you know, God said, that's not the best thing for you. But they kept insisting. And so uh, they said, Samuel, look, you're old. Your sons are scoundrels. They can't take charge after you. And so we want a king. And so Israel was given a series of kings. First of all, there was Saul. He was crazy. And uh, he wasn't a great king. Then there was David, a man after God's own heart, but certainly not a perfect man, because David sinned greatly. He committed adultery, and basically he committed murder as well. After him there came Solomon, the son of David. Solomon began his reign as king uh, with great wisdom, but he did not end up that way. After Solomon, the kingdom was divided into the north and the south. The north was called Israel. The south was called Judah. 
And, you know, they began to, with all the kings that they had, they seemed to be one bad one after another. There were a few that were pretty good, but probably none that were great. So finally, uh, God had the northern kingdom taken off into captivity, the northern ten tribes, uh, because of their sin. And after 150 years, the southern kingdom as well was taken into captivity. We come to the New Testament. We find God building a different kind of kingdom. All other kingdoms that we know of uh, required a piece of land. And so there was the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, uh, the kingdom of Belgium today. Uh, a kingdom is a location where there's a king over it. So finally God sent forth the real king, Jesus the king. The wise men came to Jesus at his birth. They called him the king of Judah. Later on, after Jesus was captured, he was taken before Pontius Pilate, the ruler. And Pilate asked him, he said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You say that I am. Well, to mock him, they had kind of a, a mock coronation service. They said, If you're a king, then you're going to need staff, and so they gave him a reed. Then a king needs to have a robe, and they threw an old rag robe over his back. King needs a crown, and so they placed a crown of thorns upon his head. And then they brought him to the place of his coronation, and his throne was the cross where they nailed him. And above that, Pilate had put the word Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. The Jews asked him to take that down, but he said, what I have written, I have written. Jesus was indeed the true king of the Jews, but his kingdom was a piece of land. It was not of this world. And so I want to look at the places where the kingdom of God was. First of all, the kingdom of God was in the past. Jesus said, Luke 13, 28, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves would be thrown out. The kingdom of God was in the past. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus had not yet come. He had not yet died for the sins of all the world. And so they all had to look forward to the coming of the Messiah into the world. Jesus was still king. The pre-existent, eternal Jesus as the king of the world. But also, secondly, the kingdom of God is in the present. That is uh, Luke 17, 21. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus was saying here, the kingdom of God is within you. We are all part of the kingdom of God. Now, you know, we, don't have, we don't go to kingdom halls as Christians. We come to church and we ask... You know, is the church exactly the kingdom? In one sense, it is. Insofar as a church is doing the will of God, it is a part of the kingdom. But if a church ceases to do that, ceases to follow the will and the word of God, it is no longer a part of the kingdom. And you don't even have to have a building. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus is with us. 
We are a part of the kingdom insofar as we're doing that. And then finally, the kingdom of God is in the future. And that's part of the prayer that we pray here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we all know in heaven God's will is perfectly done. I don't know how God's going to accomplish that. He's going to take away our willful, sinful selves and make us perfect in His presence. We are going to be part of the kingdom of God there perfectly. In this world, we don't do it perfectly. Even the rest of us sins all short of the glory of God. But then, on that day, God's will will be perfectly done and His kingdom will be complete. Now, secondly, I would like for us to look at the will of God. God has a purpose for our lives. We're all a part of that. But as we look at the chaos around us today, if you look in the world, you see all kinds of crazy things going on. Countries and morality seem to be degenerating. God is still on His throne even when you have leaders that are strange and bizarre and crazy. God's will is still going to be done even despite these situations. And we look around the world and we say, you know, is there any plan? Is there any hope for the world? And the resounding answer is yes. God still controls the world. And ultimately His will is going to be done both in the world and in our lives. John 10.10 says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus is with us and He's trying to change our lives and He's trying to get us to conform to His will and to be a part of His kingdom in that. And so uh, there are several reasons, I believe, why we should follow the will of God. First of all, His will is the way. And in the scripture here it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If there is another way to God other than through Christ, then Jesus was a liar. He said He is the only way. And we get distracted and we detour, but ultimately the only way to God is through Him. All of us want to know about the future for the world. I mean, if I knew what the stock market was going to do a year from now, I would make adjustments. If I knew what it was going to be like in six months, I would change some things. If I even knew what it was going to do tomorrow, I could still make a lot of money. And we all want to know about the future. You know, what's going to happen? So we go to fortune tellers and crazy people and reading of palms and horoscopes and that sort of thing. And by the way, the Bible forbids that sort of thing. But nevertheless, uh, we want to know about the future. But God already has a plan. That is His way. When I was uh, a young man, quite a while ago, if you had told me what my life was going to be like, I would have been shocked. <laughs> and over my life, I've lived in three countries, in Canada, the United States, and Mexico. I have done a lot of different things. I've been a pastor. I was a professor. I was a prison chaplain and then assistant warden and then a deputy warden in a prison. I never could have imagined 
God would lead me into any of those things. And I will tell you, I never really sought out any one of those positions. God just provided them for me. And I know that if there's anything good in my life, that came from God. And if there's anything really bad, most of those came from me. I did those on my own. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The will of God, the way of God. Secondly, His will is peace. It says in uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, John, I'm sorry, John chapter 14, verse 27. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let, let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Christ gives us peace. You know, it's great. Everything is going well. And you feel the peace of God and the joy of God in that moment. That is wonderful. But you know, it's more important have God's peace when your world is falling apart. It is no surprise, I've told the story before, but uh, when my wife Andy died a couple years ago, uh, that was the most difficult thing that I'd ever faced. We had been married for 45 years. I fully expected that we were going to have another 20-25 years at least in our retirement to be together. And you know, after it was over, I was devastated, and I didn't really want to think about her, because when I thought about her, I would think about the last two months, which were really bad, and the day that she died, and so it was too painful even to begin to think about that. Now, the Lord, I believe, provided me with another wife, and she has been a blessing in helping me to, to work through this grieving process, and God has given me a peace. So I'm able to think about all the great times that we had during those 45 years of our marriage without dwelling upon the pain of the last little while. God gives us peace. Romans 8.28 says, For I know that all things work together with God for those that love Him are called according to His purposes. If we love God, we find out his will is peace. Peace in the good times, but also peace in the most horrible times that we can imagine. Thirdly, God's will is blessed. <clears throat> God wants to bless our lives. He wants to do great things in us. He wants to build his kingdom through us. And I love the prayer of Jabez where it says, Oh God, pour down your blessings upon me so much that I can't even contain it all. God wants to bless our lives. Even when bad things happen, God still wants to and can bless us. One of my favorite characters in all the Bible was Joseph. Joseph uh, was seized by his brothers, remember in the Old Testament. They were his half-brothers. And they were going to kill him, but uh, they threw him instead into a pit. And then a caravan came along and said, well, let's sell him to the caravan. And so they did. And he was taken into captivity into Egypt. 
brought by a man by the name of Potiphar. He was such a great man of God, a great steward. And God blessed him. His hand was upon him. And uh, he was making Potiphar prosper as a result of that. But Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And he refused to have any part of it. She became angry and accused him of molesting her. Joseph was thrown into prison for many years for something that he did not do. While he was there, he interpreted various dreams and he uh, was really used by his captors to help around the place and do various things, but he was still in prison. And finally, uh, uh, the cupbearer for the the pharaoh uh, remembered, you know, he had been in prison with Joseph for a while and when uh, the Pharaoh had this dream that he could not understand and could not interpret, he said, well, you know, Joseph, who's in prison, is really good at interpreting dreams. So Joseph went and he interpreted the dream. And he became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. What a blessing from God. And then his family came because there was a famine in the land and he was distributing food. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. Finally, they found out who he was, and they were afraid that Joseph might take revenge upon them, but he did not. He said, you planned this for evil. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving of many lives. He took all the hardships that had come his way, the imprisonment, selling into slavery, all of that. And he used all of that to be able to glorify God. God's hand was upon him and God blessed him for what he was doing. Then finally, this is my Presbyterian point. His will is ordained. And I'm reading from Ephesians 1.11. It says, In him we were also chosen having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of God. God ordains things. He elects things. He elects us. He calls us. Uh, we're all a part of that plan. And listen, no human being can ever interdict the sovereign will of God. God's will is going to be accomplished with or without us. The Bible never says that God elects anybody into hell, but God does elect us for salvation. And so the will of God is a part of his sovereignty. And ultimately you cannot resist God's will. I was a Star Trek fan. Probably a few others here are or were. And uh, in Star Trek, you remember uh, uh, John Luke Picard? Uh, sometimes they, were, they, they encountered this group called the Borg. And the Borg was part machine and they were part biological. And they just absorbed other, other people and uh, individuals into them. And the message they gave was, resistance is futile. Well, if it's futile with the Borg, how much more is it futile with God? If you resist the will of God for your life, you only bring harm unto yourself. Jonah was an interesting character. He was called by God to be a prophet. 
And God said to him, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to those scoundrels, the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't want to do that. They had come into his land. They had pillaged. They had stolen. They had raped. And he wanted God not to forgive them. He wanted God to punish them, to wipe them out. And so he ran in the other direction, or more correctly, he sailed in the exact opposite direction so that God could not use him. Well, that plan of resisting God's will did not work out so well. He was on a ship and there was a storm. And they wondered what was causing them and he said, it was me. I was disobeying my God. He said, the only thing you can do is to throw me overboard. Now, they didn't want to do that. You know, Jonah seemed to be like a good enough guy. But God, finally, there was nothing else that they could do. The storm was so bad, they were about to be capsized. They threw him overboard, and he was swallowed by a great fish, and he remained there for three days. Not a very comfortable place. After three days, he was spit out on the dry land, and Jonah said, Okay, God, I think I'm willing to do whatever you want. He went to Nineveh and basically had a very simple message 40 days and God's going to zap you. Well, something like that. He went through the town and lo and behold, they did exactly what he was afraid of. They repented, they put on uh, sackcloth and ashes, and they fell before the Lord God. And lo and behold, God forgave them. So Jonah went to Pout. He went on the hillside. And just look at his time live. I'm sure that's something of what he did. And he was he was really angry that God had decided to forgive these people that he wanted to destroy. The will of God is ordained. You cannot prevent God's will from being done. You can resist it in your own life, but always at your own peril. Kingdom of God. Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. It's worth every sacrifice, worth every effort, worth every price to be a part of the kingdom of God. O God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven with me. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for making us a part of your kingdom. Lord, with all of our hearts and minds and soul, we pray that we might know and do your will. Let your kingdom truly be in our hearts, our lives. Forgive us where we feel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.